unseren herrlichen, abstinenten und unbeweibten Führer, der in glorreicher Karriere vom Malerlehrling zum größten Schlachtenlenker aller Zeiten. Das Benehmen ist nicht jedermanns Sache. Wieso? Stimmt's etwa nicht, ja? Der große Flottensachverständige, dem es gefallen hat, mit seinem unermesslichen Ratschluss, der diesem englischen Bettnässer, diesem zigarrequallenden Arschloch von Churchill gezeigt hat, Episode 156 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook at the Cult of Matt and Mark and like us, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com, and don't forget to head over to Amazon and purchase my novel, Nova Byzantium, courtesy of Mass Books. Uh, show news, Mr. Hudson. Any show news this week? It's almost through. Uh, I got three episodes of Twin Peaks left. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're working through them. How's it going? Um, it's gotten better the last ap- episode or two. It was really, boy, there were some tough storylines to get through, but a couple of them sort of ended in interesting ways finally. Really? What was the to tough storyline? What was the real tough storyline? Oh, to let's see here. Uh, uh, oh, uh, the stuff with the motorcycle riding kid, uh, James. Oh, yeah. That, oh, that all that annoying. whole storyline where he gets involved with that uh, trophy wife. Yep. Right. Absolutely and the, uh, terrible. And 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 the uh, chauffeur, the uh, uh, what is it? He's uh, I forget. It. He's like the Machia. He's like the uh, what the Machiavelli of that. Oh, he's situation. like the. It's like this. This rich woman's got a. She's got an abusive husband, and she's got an abusive uh, like somebody she fucks on the side. In addition, it's like yeah, she goes too deep with the peop- the guys who like to beat her up. I know. That, yeah, I, I completely spaced that storyline until you brought it up. I haven't thought about it in like 15 years. So, yeah, <laughs> and, no, oh, there, there were a lot. Of, I mean, maybe we should talk about it some way, sometime on well, the podcast. You know, so, like with Donna, you know, the Laura Flynn Boyle character, uh, she's very strong. Her character is very strange. Remember, she gets involved with that shut-in. That's just a terrible. Yeah, story the guy when he like rakes his face with the uh, uh-huh. garden trowel or the garden. Uh, what is it? Was that thing? Oh yeah, like a little spade. Yeah, know, like yeah. a little weeder He's, thing. Ah! Oh yeah. Oh, and the right, Joan yeah. Chen stuff finally. I mean, the Jock, uh, 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 Josie Packard stuff finally ended. Oh, that character uh, was so unlikable. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know who? You know who I've really come to <coughs> love. No, is this who? is Eric Daray's performance of Leo Johnson? Uh, he's pretty he always, good. He's always. I, it's weird that we never seen him again. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but when you first see him, he seems like this flaming homosexual guy that's trying to be as play as butch as possible. He's oh, really? Like his, oh, well, that's I don't know your if read? you ever watched the early bit of the character. He just he almost looks like it's somebody pretending to be a super butch dude. I don't think he's a very good actor. 
Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I found it mesmerizing, but now that he's come back as sort of like a Frankenstein monster, just yeah, it has yeah. me cracked up. I just absolutely love where that character has gone. It's just I, I, you know what I never figured out is why he never could fucking finish the kitchen in his house. I, I, that always <laughs> uh, blew my mind. Well, you're I, Was that like some stuff. kind of weird uh, I, idea Lynch had? To, it's like, oh, well, we're going to have him in a house that's like half built. Like, okay. Well, I think a lot of people live in places where they sort of got shit torn up. And, really? Uh, or in the middle of All doing right. stuff. They, they yeah. just don't complete things. Well, you know what we should do? Yeah. Uh, you haven't, have you seen Firewalk with me? Did film? we not do that as a podcast? No, no. no well, that. we definitely well, have you that. seen it though? That's yeah. the question. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. So you, it's interesting cause I saw Firewalk with me before I, I, I watched all the Twin Peaks episodes mm. and, uh, it cast a completely different light. It, it, it's strangely, even though it's basically spoiling the fuck out of the entire series for you. Uh, well, it, I mean, maybe so, but see... You have to remember that I don't remember anything I watch. Oh. Well, so I'm free of that. The only thing that I remembered, I vaguely remembered that, uh, that, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, who, what character Bob had a relationship with. Uh, Bob. Oh, was Bob. with, with Leland yeah. Palmer, that there was a Leland Palmer right. Bob relationship. See, and that's the only now- thing that, uh, that does well, spoil. now that you've stopped uh, chasing Prozac with Jack Daniels, maybe some of that'll stick. Now that you're, uh, who says I've stopped? Who says I've stopped doing that? Oh well, all right. Well, as it's now, I'm shaking, now? chasing meth with Prozac and and whiskey. You know, okay. Uh, you're you're definitely not supposed to drink alcohol and take Xanax at the same time. Is that true? Uh, well, I mean. It can uh, it can exacerbate the intoxicating effects of alcohol. Okay, because I was issue. on a plane. I I was uh, in one of uh, uh, I guess what you would what you would call my periodic hells. Uh, I find myself in uh, going uh, going on a business trip here uh, a few weeks ago, hmm. and it was one of those things you get on the plane and mechanical, don't know how long type of thing. So you're trapped on the plane. And I'm like, oh, my God. And uh, anyway, so I get the opportunity to get off the fucking plane, which I'm like the first, you know, to raise my hand. I was like, anybody that wants off this plane, make sure to take your baggage because uh, we may have to switch planes. I'm like, I am fucking out of here. You know, I was like the first guy at the door. Mm-hmm. And everybody else there is their false hope, thinking that they're going to fix it, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. It's like, you guys are kidding yourself. Get the well, fuck it's off nice that plane. they let you off the plane. I thought they usually oh, would keep you on there. Oh, no, not if you're at the gate. It's, oh, you I just see. go back and you check. Believe me, I've done this fire drill about five times in my life where mm. you've had to get the fuck off the plane while they fuck around with it. And so anyway, I was like, okay, I, I, I just, whatever, PT, you know, irrational PTSD of being trapped on a plane. So I take one of my emergency Xanax. And for some reason, I forget I took it. And then I go grab a beer at the bar. And then I'm sitting in the new plane that they've wheeled out that allegedly will be able to fly me to my destination. Mm -hmm. And I get sat on there. And usually like when I've been threatened with being stuck on a plane, that's going nowhere. uh, I already have my, the sweaty palms and the agitation and the claustrophobia going, but I was sitting there. I was like, man, I don't give a fuck. Just don't give a fuck. What happens? This plane could fucking, 
Yeah, I mean, I fall can, off on takeoff, and I don't care. I don't. I don't care how depressed the co-pilot is of this goddamn <laughs> plane. I am fucking fine with it. And uh, anyway, and so I couldn't figure out. I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then I realized you had a beer and dropped a Xanax. Yeah, and then and then, but then I started kind of getting a little panic. It's like, oh, is, does that mean I'm going to OD in the bathroom? What the fuck? Because <laughs> I told you're not supposed to do that, and I thought that it's like, is that how Heath Ledger died? Did he? Well, I mean, the thing is, you mix it. Well, with that, it's actually worse. I was thinking you were talking about a different drug, but those are two respiratory depressants, and so uh, you can stop breathing uh, when you. It's okay. really dangerous to mix drugs that could depress respiration because they can have additive effects that can sneak up on you and people just stop breathing and die the great thing would be is i wouldn't have given a fuck at that point in time. it's like stop breathing whatever i'm cool <laughs> yeah anyway it is All a right, nice man. feeling speaking of german uh uh disasters let's get into the movie this week uh our film this week is the 1981 oscar uh winning uh, foreign film das boot uh, it's not really a plot rundown because the plot's pretty straightforward. This is more of sort of a setup, but uh, it is 1942, and the German submarine fleet is heavily engaged in the so-called Battle of the Atlantic to harass and destroy British shipping. With better escorts of the destroyer class, however, German U-boats have begun to take heavy losses. Das Boot is the story of one such U-boat crew, with the film examining how these submariners maintain their professionalism as soldiers and attempted to accomplish impossible missions, all the while attempting to understand and obey the ideology of the government under which they served. So a little yeah, it seems a little, little high minded for what a little this movie high-minded. is. I'm with you. Yeah. Way yeah. way too high minded actually. Uh it's 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 it's, it's what I yeah, I I'm I, no no I no, guess, I'm uh, just I'm just saying I mean I mean the the movie's very matter of fact. I guess there was that one scene in Spain uh, where they, yeah. they really touch on it. And the rest of the time, it's a pretty... I mean, I think it's the way it is for most soldiers, even officers, that you're just doing the best you can in a tough well, situation. Well, there, there's the, uh, uh, I guess, the authentic German track of Thompson in the beginning that you played, uh, which he is drunk, and he's sort of, I guess, deriding the Fuhrer, but Yo, you're saying he's like uh, some sort of uh, womanless, uh, uh, I mean, calling him sort of a nerd. Yeah. But then he he's, he, he starts, he's like, he, I don't know if he figured he, even in his drunken stupor that he might have, uh, you know, stepped in it propaganda wise. And so he kind of backs up and then he starts uh, uh, going after Churchill. No, he, hates, like, he oh. just hates politicians, all politicians, whether they be the enemy or his own his own uh, countrymen. Yeah, I'm into that, I guess. That's <laughs> fucking right there with that yeah, guy. Yeah, Thompson, Thompson is a pretty interesting character. He's weird where he pops up. You know, uh, he pops up in at the beginning, in the middle, strangely enough, and at the very end. Oh, uh, what happened? Does he show up there to see him in? I, I forget. Yeah, he's, he... I believe he's standing on the uh, dock, is he? During that last scene? I, I don't know. I I, I he looks else. a lot like... Uh, Johan, a little bit with the beard. When the beard comes in on Johan, it's a little bit close to looking like him a bit, kind of gaunt, and, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, Which one's haunted. Johan? Is that the uh, like the engineer? Yeah, he's the guy that uh, uh, had the freak out 
and oh yeah, yeah, uh, in the middle there, and he gets threatened with a gun. Okay, oh yeah, it's interesting. You know, he always remind me of uh, oh god, what is that actor's name? A redheaded actor from the eighties. Uh, oh, he was in. Uh, we watched the movie where he was the hitman in France. Um, Jesus, man! What was that movie where the guy goes to France to do that bank bank heist? Oh, Killing Zoe, Eric Stoltz. Yeah, yeah, he looks a lot like Eric Stoltz, really? like an older Eric, like Eric Stoltz. Stoltz. So yeah, it's always, always looked that okay. way to me. All right. Hey, Eric Stoltz with a severe heroin habit. That's what I'm <laughs> uh, I think it was just about. a booze habit. All right. So Das Boat, uh, it's a th- it was a, we watched the director's cut, three and a half fucking hours, man. Uh, I, I put you through it. So uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a pretty fast three and a half hours. It goes pretty right. quick. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think I'd actually ever seen this version. I was talking to Gene. I think the movie we saw, I think, was the theatrical, what is that, two hours, two and a half About hours? About, something like that. Uh, so I don't know what they cut fat-wise. And, and supposedly they, it got re-edited as a miniseries, you were mentioning, a couple years after yeah. the, after the this release. And it's, it's sort of weird. I mean, uh, I wonder... Um, you know, I was thinking, where did they cut? Where did they have more material? And I'm, I'm guessing, probably the where they cut out a big chunk uh, from the that would have existed in the miniseries was was something that didn't make total sense from the storyline. Is when they see one of the boats off uh, after the the party scene at the beginning, it cuts to them out at sea. So I'm guessing there was some stuff where well, they left port. I I I I was pretty intimate as a kid. I loved Das Boot. I don't know why. I, my parents uh, uh, own, still own the same sailboat, and so I was always out on the water as a kid, and uh, became f- very familiar with life on a small boat. <laughs> you know, and so uh, those those crabs were a real problem. Oh, yeah, no kidding, especially in your eyebrows. <laughs> that would that be terrible. the worst. That would be terrible if you were on your parents' boat. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think, I think uh, Child Protective Services would have something to say say about that. It's like, you know, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Rivette, your child came to school with crabs in his eyebrows. I thought they were lice, but no, they're actually pubic crabs. But you can so. get those from sharing, like, beds and stuff, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, on a boat. I mean, I don't know how the boat's set up, but I'm guessing there's just one bed in your parents' boat that the whole family. Uh, no, 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 no. There was there's bunks, there's separated bunks. But oh, it's, right. it's not that small. But anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, I I had a VHS copy of Das Boot as a kid. Like I had three movies that, uh, for whatever reason, I had. You know, when you get another VCR and you record them, and uh, it was like Aliens. I watched just obscenely over and over again. And uh, Das Boot. Hold it. These weren't legitimate licensed copies of the movies? Uh, man, it, well, I think I'm, under thank fair God use, you've outgrown that and you only consume officially licensed versions of films now. Right? Well, wait a minute. If you rent, is that, was that against the law to like have two VCRs and loop them? Is that? Do, do you mean to make a copy of a movie so you could keep it and bring the other one back? Yeah. You mean exactly what I do with the Netflix movies? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's totally illegal. What? <laughs> Fucking A, man. Okay, outlaw. <laughs> in my outlaw adolescence, watching taped movies of uh, aliens and uh, strangely, Das Boot. I watched Das Boot 
a fucking shit ton. And it was the two-hour theatrical or whatever, the, the, the shortened version. Yeah, I was wondering, because three and a half hours, that's going to be a long play video cassette. It's going to look like yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. Uh, anyway, and, uh, uh, and it was the dubbed version of it. So I, I, I got very familiar with that version of the film. And so watching the director's cut, uh, I can tell you, uh, how was the dub? The, it, was, it wasn't bad because, like, I think four of the actors did their own dub because they all spoke English. Oh, you know, it would have been interesting. I, I didn't watch a dub version, but uh, I think that would have been neat. I wonder if uh, um, Jurgen uh, Prochnow or whatever that guy's name is did his own. Duke Leto? Yeah. He yeah, did. the guy who did Leto. He must have done his own voice. Yeah, he did his own voice. Uh, Shoot, yeah, so it wasn't bad. Him. It wasn't a bad dub. Because the main, like the four main characters, did their own, you know, did their own voice work, and plus mm-hmm. they filmed, uh, they filmed silently, so they did all the post dub anyway. Oh, uh, so it German. was all it was all uh, VO work, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah because of the, the 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 acoustics weren't that great on the on the submarine set or the, you know, I guess actually the recreation of the submarine. They didn't even do like a sort of cutaway version of the set. They actually just built the interior of a submarine. Uh, oh, so you know how that... I was wondering, how did they set that set up? It looks so claustrophobic, but they would have had to get, like, all the lighting and cameras in there. Yeah. No, they did. They they they, they, they jammed that shit in there. I was oh, really? I mean, they the didn't... Podcast. It wasn't like... They didn't have, like, it cut in half where they could separate nope. it? Or no. Like- they thought about doing that, and they they augmented the set a little bit. Uh, they took original plans of the U-boats, and I forget the class of U-boat that that was, and they built basically two full-scale U-boats. One was the uh, full-scale, I guess what you'd call the maritime version, uh, which was basically kind of a husk with an engine in it that they could do sort of the, uh, you know, leaving port scenes, sort of the where you needed an actual human beings running around the deck. Yeah, I was and, wondering how they did because there was no miniatures from what I could tell. There was miniatures. There's a 35 footer which they oh. used, and then there was like uh, a couple of uh, uh, submer- submersible, smaller scale versions. But mm. the uh, the kind of the one that you can tell as a model was 35 feet, and the but the the life size ones they had the full scale one, but it was basically a husk with an engine in it that could get it through the water, mm-hmm. and I think it could dive. Too, I think that they built it so it could actually dive. Oh, and well, that that'd be the toughest part, due to the, you know the water and uh, yeah the viscosity. You'd probably want to not scale it down, but you could probably get away with the half scale. I wonder what uh, the well, they had the full one scale one that could dive. Yeah, and they managed to get it to dive, mm-hmm. and then uh, they built a full interior to scale, and basically made it authentic. So. Um, and then they, they did some sizing changes for cameras, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they didn't go out of their way. They should have uh, made a half scale interior, then hired yeah, an all midget midgets. cast. That would, that, be, would have been, that would be great. That would have been fucking wild, man. Could you imagine watching that high? That <laughs> but, but only the interior shots, they got like body doubles, except, uh, they were little people. And so all the exterior stuff. We'll be done with the other actor. Oh my! It would God, be the would first. Be awesome. It was a clandestine, secret Nazi, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, project where they were going to build a half-scale U-boat and staff it full of midgets. Oh my God, that's hilarious! That would be amazing. I would. 
people would have to really rethink Hitler if they heard that story, I think. Right? Like, well, wait a minute. He what? I don't know. Let's. T- I, I might take back some stuff I said about Hitler. I had a fucking fleet of half-scale midget manned U-boats out there saying something. So, anyway. Oh, uh, so, anyway, that's how they filmed it. No, it's so, good to it, know about that set because I didn't research that. I was, <laughs> I was wondering because, boy, the claustrophobia. Uh, they produce is, is great. It's interesting that they caught it. They did it all silent, the filming, because uh, the sound editing work is awesome in this film. Well, yeah. I Well, I, I think that's it, it, technically DOS boot is, is a significant achievement. I think, you know, the acting is, is, is really good. Uh, and the, uh, but th- what really it comes down to, I think, is is the technical achievement of the set and uh, capturing just the uh, the filth and the, the the clamminess. All I could think of watching this film was just clammy. You know, it's it's like when you go out camping for a weekend and you just get fucking rained on the whole time. And you just feel like you're never going to get dry. It just, it's, it's you know. It, 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 well, I mean, obviously it's air conditioned in there, right? Because they got bilge pumps. But you're right. The humidity. I wonder what the humidity really was inside of those things. Mm. I can tell you being on just a sailboat, uh, living and sleeping on the water in summertime. I mean, not even winter. but oh, you, there's just there's so much the, water around. Yeah. You just, it's, it's like morning dew. All the time. It's just that water gets in there. uh, and Like the sheets are never dry in the bed. Yeah, yeah. It would be like getting into those bunks would be just, you just have to make a friend of discomfort. And and let alone the stench. I mean, that's the other part. So maybe that keeps them dry. And that's the other thing about this film. You can almost smell the, you can almost smell this movie. Oh, that must have smelled so bad. I just imagine having to use that. They had the one toilet for everybody. One toilet. I (laughs) mean, that sign above it with like the sailor's butt with a tattoo on it. it I don't think those fuckers ever bathed in that boat, right? I mean, I guess you'd go outside and get some mist on you. I'm surprised they wouldn't go up to the surface and take a take a dip every once in a while. Well, you could. I, I, I don't know. Like one thing I've always wondered if you're out at sea. Like, um, I think like some of the around the world guys, when they need to bathe, you know, some of those extreme sailors, mm-hmm. uh, they'll, they'll, if like you get a bucket and you put a bunch of soap in it and then you put salt water in it, I think you can kind of get by. I'm sure it dries the fuck out of you, but mm-hmm. I think you can actually get by. Well, probably get the, that the, way. the stink off of you. So maybe they did a little bit of that, but I don't know where they did it. There's no shower. Well, they like, probably no... didn't. weren't able to take swims because they always have to be ready at a moment's notice to uh, dive. To dive. So there's no way anybody could get off. Plus, the boat's traveling swim. like 35 knots, so you just like fucking <laughs> could never get off. You know? Well, I mean, they could go and pull a Fonzie and do some uh, water skiing behind the boat. Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, uh, a la Apocalypse Now. So, uh, I so the technical achievement of the film, and and I, I think that's kind of uh, why I enjoyed it as a kid. Is it's very, what's the right word? Um, like I, I mentioned last podcast, it kind of has like that cutaway 
you get the you get the mechanical sort of nuance of of the U-boat, and especially in the warfare scenes. He's like, oh okay. yeah, the, the other water. Well, they're when they're getting hunted scenes. Basically, it's weird. I didn't realize why everybody was running around all the time while they were diving and, and mm. whatnot. It was because they were moving people as ballast. Yeah, they're shifting weight around. I didn't, I didn't get that till a little later. It's like, why are these guys always in a hurry to get to the front or the back of the boat? I know. It's like, it's just, <coughs> yeah, they don't have to go up there and pull a valve. That's not their job. I mean, yeah. there's so many scenes where like. Basically, the whole crew like are hiding out just like on top of each other at one end of the boat. It's pretty funny. Well, and then there's the the the, uh, the Gibraltar scene where the dive mm. planes are stuck, and then they all have to run to the back, right? Yeah. Like get to the fucking back, man. We're we're we're, we're nose down, and it's it's not a good scene. So uh, anyway, um, I don't know what I was going on about, but uh, yeah, I think that's why this movie succeeded in such a way because it it. it captured really as like it's weird nobody nobody who watched this film maybe maybe one or two people uh may served on a u-boat during world war ii uh however watching it you're like i'm pretty sure that's what it was like i'm pretty sure it was that awful right um well i mean the camaraderie seemed really good i mean it was tight quarters but i think on a boat the quarters are always pretty tight i guess they're even more so on a on a U-boat. Yeah. But it didn't seem, it seemed like everybody got on pretty well. Considering. Well, you had to. There wasn't yeah. really a choice. You uh, know, I wonder, um, I wonder about all the food stuffs on there. Well, the perishables would be gone within the first week or two. So you're left eating out of cans. That's kind of my impression that you wouldn't have any sort of a, you know, maybe some dried meat. I, I think most of it was canned food. I couldn't imagine what else they were surviving on. Well, I guess, I mean, how long were how long were they really out? I got I got a little confused about... Like fucking months, man. That's my impression. Was it that long? I don't, it seemed like I a fuck ton of time. I had a feeling that, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it was more than a couple of months. This yeah, I, I don't think it could be. Because they, they have to carry the... They're using like liquid fuel, so diesel. Yeah, diesel so, I mean, electric. How long, can, it was a, how long? How many? How big are their tanks? How long can they go out there on diesel? Uh, it, can't, well, it can't be six months. No, I, well, I assume they were like diesel electric systems. So uh, diesel on the surface, right? Because you can't fucking burn diesel underwater. And uh, then when they when they would dive. They would switch over to like an electrical system. Yeah, they but still, still all the energy is derived from the diesel engines. Yeah, like, right. They charge batteries, yeah. and that's yeah, where like, you know, I, you have I, that I scene. Don't, I don't oh, think, go ahead. I don't think it's that long a period of time where because you know it's 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 not so long that their citrus fruit goes bad. Well, there's the there's the Vigo resupply, mm-hmm. and then they go into Gibraltar, and that's not that far. That far down the road, maybe a few days mm-hmm. they're in that situation. So uh, they're probably I'm, eating through that fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, you I would, wonder, right? I if wonder you had how, fresh how that um, lemon juice mixed with canned milk tastes. What? That Were they the, drinking uh, that shit? The uh, second lieutenant makes one time. He calls it the uh, U-boat cocktail. You remember oh. that scene? 
Was that to like, oh, that's right. He drinks, I thought it was sour milk he was drinking. Oh, I, I, I thought it was canned milk and, uh, oh, and soured right. it with, um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, because they're all just sitting around eating lemons. Oh, well, you do that for, what are they, scurvy? Was that I still guess. a thing? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, you're working hard, and I think that uh, you want to keep your vitamin C up. So there must be. You remember? That wasn't. I don't think Matt was ever your roommate, but one of his buddies, Joe, was. Remember Matt? Uh, I won't mention his last name. Mm. But I, mean, uh, I think. I think I Matt remember, from Wenatchee. Yeah, it was a guy who got scurvy one time. Right? Yeah, he got scurvy one. He was the worst eater on the planet. He grossed me out so many times. Uh, and so when I heard he got scurvy, I was like, that doesn't surprise me. What the fuck was he doing? And, uh, I think something like his parents or something had dropped off a pallet of tuna fish to him or something. I thought it was crab. He got a freezer full of crab from somebody. And he just, and he, that's all he ate because he was such a, he was a cheapskate and a garbage eater. And, uh, he didn't have any problem eating that shit forever and i guess it went bad on him or something that would be that would be an well, i don't say i just think he got some vitamin deficiencies because of the diet god i wish i could have a relationship like that with food where it didn't matter it was just like i just got to get some fuel in me before i get going on my day just what is that hand and just shove it I know. in your mouth and go well, that- how do people how do people develop that ability to be so dispassionate about food I guess just that a, it's just a, the profundity of getting it in you. And then it, once it's in you, thank God that's done. I can do something interesting. The the craziest part of of <laughs> of the uh, 9-11 conspirators that I uh, learned, not that they were all a bunch of religious fanatics. Uh, I think we're all well aware of that. But Muhammad Atta, who was the, uh, I guess he was the ringleader. He was the Egyptian He was, he was guy. the guy who was sort of the sunken dead looking eyes right yeah he was he was the yeah he 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 yeah he looked kind of like a corpse Mm -hmm. in his pictures and i guess what i read about him the weirdest part was that his relationship with food and he had he was just what you like what we're talking about he just had no fucking passion or he, he got no joy out of it and so what he used to do at the beginning of the week he used to boil a bunch of potatoes, make a giant bowl of mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. put it into his refrigerator, nothing else, and just used to spoon feed it to himself throughout the week until, like, okay, I, I, I've eaten enough and I can go do my day. Like, just shitty potato starch with nothing. How, That's how do people that, do that? Not even any black pepper. Some fresh ground black pepper and some some celery no. salt. No, and he, a couple well, of pats of butter. What are you doing yeah, to yourself? Fucking when you find Allah, I guess that's what that's when you'll know. You I just really sort of care. wish I could have a little bit of that. You know, it's just this sort of derision for uh, worldly at, pleasures for for any kind of hedonism at all. Yeah, I even, guess even if you're food, which is a requirement, you know, but that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. he probably only drank like room temperature tap water. Ooh. I don't know. He's probably just beaten off to be Arthur, just to you know get it out of his system. <laughs> like, yeah, God damn it! It was it's well known fact that Otta had a a B Arthur uh, fetish problem. 
Well, I think he was in Florida for a time, so maybe he, uh, he developed an, uh, you know, a sort of an elder attraction at some point. <laughs> Didn't want to admit it, you know. Uh, that's pretty funny. Right. So, uh, Das Boot. Okay, we've talked sort of about the, I guess, the, the mechanics of, of, of the film, the, the feel of the film. How how and, and everything is like you're there and you're there. there. There's nothing really filmed off the boat except for the the La Rochelle uh, bar scene, the Vigo sort of merchant ship merchant ship scene. Oh yeah, and then the and then the end. I guess I wouldn't call it a battle, but the end attack scene. On oh no shore. no, there's also the scene on the boat in Spain, which I think was pretty important. Well, that's what I mentioned, the merchant ship in Vigo, or is it Vigo? Oh, was that the name of the... Oh, I'm sorry. I I thought you were talking about the merchant ship that they sunk, and you saw the guys jumping off the boat. Oh, there was that. Well, that yeah, yeah, there was that. But that was on the boat. Right. Well, actually, let's wind up a little bit. Uh, I went off into too many tangents. The difference between the three-and-a-half-hour version we watched and the original version was more or less you had more... Uh, scenes in the scene. So it didn't exclude any of the, the, the major uh, set pieces. Like when I think of the set pieces of Das Boot, you have the first one, which is that, um, I guess, first destroyer attack. Remember? when when It's that really iconic scene where he's spinning the periscope around and the waves are kind of slowly ebbing and flowing. It's, it's sort of a weird... Uh, you know, kind of mesmerizing feel. Well, it's because he can't believe they spotted him. They can't believe they spotted the periscope in that weather. But that 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 doesn't start until the forty fifth minute, right? So so there's that scene, and then they go down, and then they get depth charged, and that whole thing. Yeah, and for then like fifteen minutes they're they're in their first being hunted phase, right? And then there's the I guess what the second set piece, which would be the successful attack on the merchant ships. Where, yeah, that's uh, after more the more bad bad weather, and they run into Thompson's other boat. Right, right, and then they come up, and then they see the burning, I guess, tanker, the oil tanker, you know, where the the men mm-hmm, are still aboard, mm-hmm. uh, and the only English that you hear spoken in the entire film is those guys. <laughs> oh, and they're also try well, other than and singing Tipperary. Um, oh yeah, that was pretty funny. That's kind of funny, isn't it? I I, I I had to figure that one out. I didn't know that song when I was a kid. And <coughs> it's an old British uh, uh, war song. And, I believe so. And, I don't know the origins of it. And they were singing it sort of like as a uh, fuck you or, a, you know, I, I thought that was kind of I funny. I thought it was more of a camaraderie between uh, sailors and, and, and uh, soldiers. And not a not a fuck you sort of feeling. No, no, no. But it was a British song. It's, it was it's a, a British, British song, song but I think I think it went. I mean, there's definitely an anti-war vibe to this movie. Well, how can there be? How can't there be? You're talking about a German World War II film. It, yeah, it ain't going to yeah. end well in any case, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I think it's an important uh, comment to make that you know, if a war film doesn't make this comment, it's sort of cheapening everything i mean it'd be hard find pressed to find a war film that doesn't make that comment since uh you know the 1970s uh right well and especially with with i mean you know a german war film of world war Two. yeah because uh, it was this was a west german production i'm guessing yeah yeah of course these are all yeah. german actors even though right this the director um uh, uh peterson peterson 
he's had he had a lot of success before and after this in the Hollywood system. Yeah, he directed Troy, which mm-hmm. was pretty successful. But he didn't he so, direct a Never Ending Story just yeah, before he, this one? Yeah, he did do that too. <laughs> so, yeah. but this was certainly a German production. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know, it was the biggest I had a feeling that uh, didn't didn't Germany have all sorts? Of, I mean, don't they still have all sorts of weird laws about Nazi paraphernalia? Like they the swastika? And well, it seemed like this movie they would show it, but it'd always be partially hidden. And I wonder if that was a way for them around those laws. I don't know. Like whenever there was uh, a flag that would have had like the, well, the wartime I, flag of Germany. No, well, there there was never any swastika in this film. There was there was the, partial. Like they were partially hidden. There was some on uh, some of the uniforms, some of the dangly bits. There were some very small swastikas. Well, there's the uh, iron. What do they call? What's the the Wehrmacht? Was that the basically the German military? Uh, I forget. But you had the you know the the pretty traditional. It was kind of that um, cross, the cross, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. with with the red and the that didn't wasn't. See the the strange thing is is that with 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 I guess uh, World War Two and the Germans, that the Nazis weren't the German army. The German army was the German army, and uh, within I guess the the command structure, you had the Nazis and then you had the SS. Uh, but the poor fuckers going out like you know obviously like you see in this film, uh, fucking didn't have any political investment uh, and would have went to war regardless of of. You know, if Hitler would have been elected or not, they were just, you know, they're German nationals. It's it's like conflating the Republicans with the American military, which happens a lot. But it, it's it's that kind of idea. Right. And so, you know, it'd be like seeing a fucking elephant on a uh, military vehicle. Right. It, it's it's not it's that's not the way it rolled. In uh, the German wartime flag had the Nazi symbolism on it. What? Are you serious? Now, the, yeah, the army, the military had it in there? No, the national flag, which well, you I know see they had that in at there. several points. And there's also some uh, accoutrements on some of the officers' uniforms that did have very small swastikas okay. on it. Okay. But they were really yeah. underplay, which made me wonder if... Uh, well, Maybe uh, you're saying it's a, they're really being more realistic that uh you know the national socialist party hadn't worked its way into every little corner of the military and i, I agree with that but uh, it certainly was the power structure of the german state at the time i know you can't do the heil hitler in germany i know that's against the law doing that that you know that whole thing well i know that uh, like video games have to when they're about world war ii have to remove swastikas from the video games isn't that fucking weird man that's just so weird uh, how hung up human beings are with symbols. Well, I mean, I think there's a neo-Nazi movement. No, there is. I, I, I get it. You know, I, I understand why why they they, they censor it. Uh, but I mean, I to me, I'm not I'm not a big sacred cow kind of guy. So uh, I don't have a problem with with symbols. They're they they're only what you make them to be. So I, one little story, I, I was down visiting uh, Will, and his, his wife, uh, Nicole, is German. And mm. uh, uh, they had their, you know, they do, they do uh, f- like kind of film art and that kind of thing. And so, like, above her working desk or whatever, there's this little flag. And it's, it's basically a Nazi flag, but instead of the 
swastika in the circle, the black swastika, there's kind of like this black sort of double cross. I don't know really how to describe it. And I'm just at first uh, I time I visited. I think that's from uh, that's symbolism from uh, V for Vendetta, isn't it? Uh, no, it wasn't anything like that. I, I maybe described it wrong, but uh, I was standing there and I was like looking at it, and and she kind of got a little self conscious, and she was like, "Well, you see, uh, my <coughs> my grandfather in World War II ran, was uh, part of a." I guess it was a civilian merchant company. And in order to curry, I guess it wasn't World War II, but the 30s, in order to sort of curry favor with uh, Nazi politicians to get, you know, to get contracts, they they enhanced the symbol of the shipping company to that. And so uh-huh. it was this crazy, and I guess it happened a lot, where you would uh, kind of adopt some of the uh, Nazi iconic iconography in business to sort of get a little bit more, you know, favors with, with the government at the time. So, uh, but they kept it. That was the weird thing. After that, uh, she said she remembered going to Christmas parties and stuff, and those flags would be hanging up over the, you know, the, the, the hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just left it. That was just like the symbol. You know, like, well, it's not really a, it's not really a swastika, but it's our symbol for the company. So we're just going to keep it until people get, you know, get all. I wonder if it's the, still the symbol to this day. Oh, I doubt it. It probably been like bought out by, uh, you know, one of those big, huge shipping conglomerates like Hapagloid or, uh, you know, what are the other one? The Maersk companies are those shipping companies that seem on all the containers. I just assume they are. I believe so. so yeah. Uh, what do we want to, where do we want to go next with Das Booth? Uh, for good, I think um, something we haven't mentioned before that I really thought was a really deft bit of storytelling was the, the character of uh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Werner. Werner. I thought that that character yeah. was basically acted as sort of an avatar for the viewer that you could put yourself into because he was an outsider. He was actually a rather milk toasty sort of character. Yeah, and it's the whole story is told from his point of view. So I think that's a, I think that was a really neat little storytelling trick to draw the viewer in and really, I don't know, it sort of you felt like you were him uh, in this movie, which I think was the intent of the, of the screenwriter. I guess uh, he, the, this was based after a novel, and the novel was written based on a similar experience that a war correspondent had. Mm that would have been Lieutenant Werner. So uh, it, it was paralleling reality a little bit. but uh, Well, I mean, if it did, uh, it were, I thought it worked really well, uh, personally. I, I think it, the movie would have been poor without that character. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it Well, it definitely helped. And, and plus he had, uh, he didn't say a whole lot, but he he had sort of this empathy. And I don't know if it was in his facial expressions or not, but... Uh, every character that he encountered, there was this uh, kind of amazing look of empathy. You know what I mean? He he definitely felt everybody on that boat, and uh, uh, I thought it was some like superb kind of subtle acting. On his did you part. get? Uh, yeah, I did. I enjoyed his acting. Did you feel bad when he got that dirty uh, rag in the face? No. <laughs> 
Because yeah. <coughs> that kind of shit I would expect on a boat. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I, see why he's so put out. I thought they were hazing him, and that's just part of the procedure there. I mean, they piss yeah. on your car, and they throw a dirty rag in your face. I don't think it was meant as being mean. I thought they was they were sort of accepting him as one of the boys. Yeah. I mean, but like, I guess he was an officer, so it probably was. I guess he was an officer, so that's where the sh- literally the, the shitty oil rag hits the fan. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's verboten. If you, yeah, uh, probably so. Yeah, uh, verboten. I, a German word? Is that a German word? Did I, I, hit, it? Did I hit the nail on the head there? All right. Uh, so my good, uh, there's so much with uh, DOS boat, but uh, I would say uh, my favorite, I guess, uh, vignette of the film is the uh, Gibraltar scene. And you like the Gibraltar scene. If anything, it didn't seem the strongest part of the movie to me. I mean, other than, well, I mean the, the the stuff at the bottom did, but everything well, that's what I'm talking about. That. No, oh, okay. I'm, the, the the whole like uh, you know the point that led up to that. I wasn't could well, take once the they're on I, the bottom. Yeah, I mean, once the they hit the bottom. Well, there's the there's some of the and you know I don't know I, I've never had an experience like that. But uh, I, I, I've, I've, I'm a certified scuba diver, and so I, I, you know, I'm familiar with the deep to a certain extent, especially with the concept of pressure and, uh, you know, what it feels like to be deep, deep, and how deep 250 fucking meters under the ocean is. You know, as a certified scuba diver, uh, I think I was certified down to 100, 110 feet which is, what, 30 meters, you know? And they're down at, like, 260 or something insane like that. Mm-hmm. And there's that scene where the dive planes are stuck, and they've stopped the engine, they've blown the ballast, but the fucker's still cruising to the bottom. And there's just the looks on those guys. Like, I, I don't know how they, they, they pepped the uh, actors to get those expressions of despair, like imminent despair and horror where you're just frozen because there's nothing you can do. And I, you know, they're looking at it and the guy's calling out like 250 meters, 260 meters. And you're just waiting for the goddamn thing to implode. Mm-hmm. Right. It is like, it's fucking thing's going to blow. And what's it's it. I, and then they hit the bottom and then, uh, the idea, like, I kept thinking, well, what would I do? And after the story relayed about me on a stupid, you know, broken airplane taking Xanax, uh, I would not fare well at that scene. <laughs> not now. Maybe as a younger man. Uh, but the... Well, our main character, is is it in that scene or an earlier scene where he actually passes out looking at that snowy picture? Yeah, he goes, he gets narcoleptic. He just, uh, I think he just, I think, I mean, I think that's probably what I would do. I would just try to go into some safe space and pass out and, uh, so right. I wouldn't see death's final blow. Well, and the interesting thing is, is that character is allowed the luxury to do that because all those other poor fuckers have to be on some sort of battle station. Mm-hmm. You have to actually do something during the horror. And to me, and in that Gibraltar scene, I, I think. I, how could you maybe that's all you have at that point is you have a duty and that's like the only way to to possibly get through such a horrific circumstance is you just okay i i gotta do this 
and you just focus on that one thing because that's something you can do in a helpless situation. And uh, um, so I, I, I mean, I think like with any of these things, and we talk about this with war, some of these men would be broken and some wouldn't. Some would be stalwart. Well, I keep wondering what the fuck I would do in that scene. And I've always wondered that as a kid. You know, I watched that and I'm. Can, I, well, first I, you'd I, be 20 years old. First off. Yeah. So what would 20, the 20, 20 year old you do? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that. See, I, I think I, well, I started that's, watching that's this the movie. Great, that's the great adventure of war. That's what young men want out of war. They want to be put in an impossible situation and find out what they do. Find out well, whether they'd break or not. I I I, I keep thinking because I, I don't know what I would do. I well, I don't want to be in war. I don't think I've ever wanted to be in a war. But but that whole scenario, where do you have the metal to carry through with your duty in in such a dire. And hope possible. I mean, it seems hopeless. The the whole ship's breaking apart. It's leaking everywhere, and you're diving into shitty diesel, freezing diesel filled water with four to, by fours uh, to 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 shore up a a breach with a fucking four by four and you know a goddamn crescent wrench. I was like, God damn it! You know, I what? I mean, I guess that's all you can do. So you do it, but I don't know if I could do it and. Even as a kid watching that, I don't know if I could have done it. And even as a 42-year-old adult, I was like, I don't know if I could ever. It's bizarre. That that whole mystery of how I would act in that circumstance still eludes me because obviously I've never been in in, in sort of a you know panic scenario like that. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to know. I'd know I'd break. But would the 20-year-old me break? Maybe not. I don't know. There's almost, yeah. It's best probably just not to... Think about it too much, and if you got in that situation, just act the best you could. I'm sure, I'm sure the pressure of duty and work to be done would be immense, and it would probably, even though uh, you know you're in this horrible, stressful situation, your freedom—you don't really have much freedom of action, and what you do is sort of predetermined for you. So, in a certain sense, it's probably the easiest thing to do would just be to follow orders. And I'm sure that's so, what a lot of people do. I, I guess uh, to me, these are I, if you want to call them war heroes, which I don't. I don't think you know it's a stupid word, but uh, there's no mono a mono. There's no sort of you know uh, shooting from the hip with a. There's there's no bullets flying in that scene. Yet I guess the uh, the the uh, character of the individuals or the character of the soldiers to me seems. I think is is much more of an enigma, which I find, I guess, much more admirable uh, than I would sort of your typical Rambo depiction of a soldier. It's like, God damn, I, to be able to do something in, in those in those claustrophobic horror filled circumstances and. and I, to me, is is just a, a bit of psychology that I've never been able to wrap my head around, and I think this movie uh, brings delivers, uh, you know, to the viewer in a way that opens up a lot of questions. At least it does for me. I mean, so it's interesting, I, but I mean, how many of these men are broken? I mean, how many of these men, if they had lived, would not be? You know, living in the a post traumatic well, stress well, they'd be disorder of life. Yeah. 
And so in the end, what are you really getting out of this? Whether or not you can make it through a shitty day and be ruined for the rest of your life is I'm not, I guess I, I guess I, I don't see the, I never saw the romance in it. I mean, I guess I sort of understand it on sort of a certain level, but it just seems like a, a waste of good men. Well, no, it is. It's completely that. And there's the scene. Uh, it's a great scene with uh, Werner and the captain. And is it the captain? I think it's the captain. And they're ta- And he's sort of talking about the propaganda of war that sold the young men. And, uh, you know, sitting at the bottom of the ocean in, in a boat falling apart. That, that Like that idea is like the furthest thing from his mind. You know, as he's like facing death, because because oh, yeah. that that's that's reality. Mm-hmm. Is that he's like, you know, here I am. I just don't want to be alone, and all I am is afraid. Yeah, this and, is what uh, everybody's talked about, which was going to be your glorious moment. Yeah, it's going to be and all glory, I am but, is shit and feel like shit in my pants. That's right, and 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 you know, almost dying an anonymous death because uh, you're at the you're you're at the bottom of the ocean. There's nobody. There's no camera following you around to, uh, you know, send home to the motherland to, to to show your heroism in such a circumstance. You're just going to die on the bottom of the ocean. Well, it's another dead soldier of the losing army. You I don't know. even get the honor of having a white cross on your being buried and putting a white cross up to stand for a couple of decades. No, yeah, you're just it. You're 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 you know you're you're uh, tomb of the unknown soldier. Uh, yeah. So I really I liked I like I that whole Gibraltar scene. Hmm. So I guess that was my good um, hmm. for bad for you, Mr. Hudson. Uh, I think one place this film sort of falters technically is um, sort of the death charge scenes. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's tough to do, and I don't I don't know what you could do to crack it. They almost got there with the where they have you hear the propeller sounds of the ships that are overhead. But I think just some of the photography, I guess it must have been done in miniature of the depth shards going underwater. I mean, you just don't get a feel for the depth charges. I don't know what it, what they'd have to show. I didn't really feel like I understand how depth charges work. They seemed like they were instantaneously down at 120 meters. I don't know. It didn't totally make sense. Well, in the imagery, I didn't think <coughs> helped. So I thought it was just, uh, for a movie that's technically very good, that was a bit of a weak point. Yeah, depth charges are—they're basically exactly what 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 you know their titular title is that they're set to go off at a certain depth, and so uh, battleships, and, you know, and I don't know how they exactly did the the they tried to detect U boats other than you know you have a periscope, uh, you may have. Uh, uh, you know, some sonar capability. Well, they had active sonar, which I thought was sort of interesting how they sort of addressed it in the movie. So they would have a distance reading. Yeah. So you would get some of that. Uh, maybe you had a magnetometer. I, I don't know. To, to sort oh, of see, if, yeah, see if there's a giant hunk of steel moving underneath the boat or that the would ship. That would be an interesting trigger me- mechanism. They used those on mines, didn't they? Yeah, well, and landmines. Well, I think ship mines and landmines. Oh, well, I like, guess you could probably use similar mechanisms for a depth charge. Yeah, but, it, but... My guess is they probably do it based on a pressure system. Uh, with a magnetometer, it's basically like you you think of it as a compass. And as a, a giant piece of steel moves under you, it creates uh, a current, and that current creates a, a magnetic you know, 
field that changes. And so a little needle swinging, a very sensitive little needle swinging, and you can detect uh, what kind of, uh, you know, how big of an object or where it might be. Yeah, I guess. You wonder you wonder how, what sort of distance functionally. I don't know. Have. I think you'd have to be right over it. So yeah, that, so that was my like, impression of like a depth charge is like when you, when you cross over, uh, I guess, a hunk of steel that might be, you know, 100 meters below you, you'll get a sort of a magnetometer that might say, hey, you just went over something. You know, oh, really? kind of like on, you on think, the ships they had that? Well, maybe like, oh, you know, I've if you think if you think like about that. a metal detector, metal detector works the same way. It's sort of a big kind of a toroidal coil. So they had a bunch of retirees with medical metal. Detectors they had a bunch of old men dangling from the water with the no. Uh, and, and so you pass over it and you go, we just went over something. And then you would launch the depth charge was sort of these barrels that would kind mm. of eject out, out of the ship. And then you would pre-wire them to go off at a certain depth. You know, and then they would go down. And so if you, you know, the reason that they kept going down deeper when captains like go deeper, deeper, is that uh, you could get below the, the setting for the detonation of the depth charge. Like if they're set to go off at 50 meters, you go down to 100. And then by the time the shock wave gets to you, it's much more attenuated than if you're up higher, which makes sense. So they would play those kind of games. I mean, and that's I understandable. Think- yeah, so, uh, and I think they got pretty good at it towards the end of the war, detecting uh, submarines. And uh, it's still an art. I mean, it's still, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're still building remote sensing uh, Wasn't there hardware. something in the North Sea recently where one of the Scandinavian countries said, we, we swear to God there was a couple of Chinese submarines poking around our ports? Wasn't there some sort of international it might have been that. And nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody, like nobody admitted to it, so it sort of fell away. It was just an accusation. I'm sure. I'm sure that shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why wouldn't it? Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess maybe. Well, I'm sure the, the U.S. For... doesn't do anything dastardly like I don't that. Don't do anything like that. <laughs> what do you take us for, my friend? <laughs> you know, for for me, uh, bad. Uh, I think it's it's now in. Uh, I, I'm with you on the depth chart scenes. I I I didn't like the repetition of uh, uh, footage. It seemed like they kinda... used the same shots. They did. They may not yeah. have. They did. Yeah. So that got to me. I hate to say it, but the, what what really got to me was the length of the three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I I I I I, I was watching it, and I, it, when it's compacted. In a shorter film, the tension is much higher. It just it, it is, and and so I I, I got a little bit uh, the, the the director's cut length, I would call excessive. I don't know what you thought of it, but uh, I, I mean, it, it, I mean it was long, but it it was pretty riveting the whole time. It moved pretty fast. It was pretty riveting. Yeah, it just for me it it, it seemed like it was overly long, but that's okay. It's it's you know that, it wasn't that big of a deal. You had to have take some of your own medicine this week. Uh, I know. I, I served it up to myself. I don't have any ugly. Do you have any ugly? Uh, you're still trying to get a handle on the ugly. I think I'm going to go with uh, the second lieutenant, that redheaded guy with that maniacal smile he always oh, was yeah. showing. The guy cutting the uh, fucking fungus off the bread. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That guy looked like he, was somebody who might like to torture cats. He looked like well, he was a he seemed like a smartass because he always had uh-huh. that shit eaten grin on his face the yeah, entire certainly. fucking time. 
It's like he's always up to something, right? <laughs> and how he became an officer, you just assumed it was like nepotism. I'm sure it was nepotism. I think, that's but he it. got his at the end. So, uh, well, I guess the, I know. guess everybody got theirs. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, what do you think about hitting the review? <laughs> Ebert reviewed this uh, long director's cut version on April 4th of 1997, giving it uh, four out of four stars. Um, He basically sums it up saying it's the the movie is about a desperate, uh, the desperate and dangerous and exacting job of manning a submarine. Um, And we identify not with the mission that they're given, but their uh, the tough job that they're uh, required to do. Um, he's, he's saying that, um, just talking a little bit about the length of this edit, he says the, uh, film is like a document documentary in its impact. I think there's something to be said about that. I think that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, that we really see a single U boat mission from beginning to end. And that's exactly what we see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I like that structure of the film. It's very simple. It's easy to follow. I don't know. I think it makes it for a nice film. Um, talking about the journalist, I commented on that he's like, I said he was like an avatar for the viewer. Uh, Ebert makes another good point about the journalist that uh, the character is useful because it gives the captain a reason to explain things that would not be explained. Yeah. To people it works. The boat. It works well for exposition. Yeah. And I th- I'm sure that's a classic storytelling mechanism be it novels or whatnot. Yeah. Um, it works really well here. Um, then he talks about a little bit uh, about the, the scene with the, uh, the burning men that they abandoned in, in the sea. He says um, that this was endlessly discussed when the film came out in 1981. Really? Um, and uh, I was sort of surprised. He says... Um, I mean, making the comment that, of course, it's easier to, uh, you know, blow up targets when you see them through a periscope than when you can hear them crying, obviously. Um, and that he says that uh, if it was uh, commenting on why it's more effective, that this is a German boat, is that if it was a, an American submariners, uh, that um, it would be not be possible to show them letting drowning men die. Well, see... That's the interesting, I, I guess to me that maybe that's the interesting part of Das Boot, and, and I don't know if you're you're uh, you're on Ebert's take or not. But oh, I'm not. I mean, I don't see why a filmmaker would want to show Americans letting the enemy well, die. I mean, is that something weird to show in a war movie? Well, it, just that it doesn't happen in American war films in a way that uh, 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 I guess. Leaves I mean, you not necessarily rooting for the winning side, you know. I, I it's an he does bring up a good point. That, that make, the make that, that make is that a bad thing for them to do? I mean, were they supposed to pick up a bunch of? No, no, no. It's not. It's, mariners? It's, it's it's actually it's it's authentic to war. But when we when we get, I guess, war movies served up to us about Americans and American wars, whether they even even were, uh, uh, we even won the war or not. Uh, there is this, I guess, this, uh, oh, uh, 
I guess this this need to not maybe show the inhumanity of 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 an American soldier in a way that uh, and not necessarily maybe an indifference. Really, uh, I mean, that's, I thought. I mean, obviously for the weak minded, but well, there's a lot of weak minded film, film viewers. A lot of filmmakers couldn't give a shit about that unless they were just chasing a buck. Yeah, Which I guess right, is a good well, reason right there. Enter Clint Eastwood and American Sniper. Oh, yeah. We'll I'm not going to watch that bullshit. Yeah. yeah um, my God, it's weird. Why would Eastwood be chasing a buck so late in his life? I don't think he is. No. I think I he's think telling he, the story he, he wants he, to I tell. I think he, he actually believes. Uh, I, you know, I haven't seen American Sniper, so I don't really want to feel like I don't want to really like weigh in. I, uh, I saw the scene where the main character fillets George W. Bush. I thought that was a good too scene, much. man. I saw that too. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hot. This is, it's pretty I, hot. Shooting guns not the only thing I shoot. I, I also shoot guys' cocks. <laughs> well, you know, you got to sacrifice for your country. What Take you one do? for the team. Oh man! <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I did. I, I I think I liked the part of his review where he, he the the fact that you're seeing this this film was made by the losing side of what we can all agree was a just and fair victory on the allies' part. Sure. Well, uh, yeah. Great. Okay. And that's what I'm worked s- out real well. Well, you know what I'm saying. I, it, it, uh, World War II had this sort of morality uh, that we all like to think was was. They did a was, good. They did a good job writing that story up in the history books. And the Germans didn't do themselves any fucking favors. <laughs> they certainly, much. they certainly didn't. But uh, um, neither did the Japanese. I, they didn't do themselves any fucking favors, and that's part of the. You know, the, the, the I mean, whole these people World War II. rounded up innocent civilians and put them put them in concentration camps. I mean, that well, was something the Allies would never have done. And we we would never. Well, we would never gas them, right? We would just put them in shitty desert encampments. You know, with uh, uh, come on, keep dig, keep digging that hole there, Matt. All right. Well, I'm just saying we we didn't have a final solution. We just had a fucked up solution. That's all we had. <laughs> Yeah, All right. So. Nah, I, 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 well, regardless, the the mythology of World War Two is is hard to uh, un untangle uh, from uh, the facts, as it were. So, uh, but the Germans did not do themselves any favors, and so it's interesting to see. I guess, uh, and he does make a good point at the end. I'll let you continue. Go ahead. If you don't cover it, I'll I'll, I'll pipe in. Well, I mean. I mean, he does. He compliments the director about the sound and the, and the video editing. And then, getting to your point, you probably wanted to mention is the final sentence of this. Yeah, that uh, Francois Truffaut uh, said that it is impossible to make an anti-war film because films tend to make war look exciting, and exactly. this film does. This film makes war look oh, yeah. exciting. In general, uh, Truffaut was right, but his theory doesn't extend to Das Boot. In a way. In a way, I and and like going back to my statement about as a kid watching this movie over and over, I think to satisfy or answer a question about how I would act in these dire situations, for me wasn't necessarily uh, a pro or or anything of of that. Like I think it was more of a, just how psychologically I would. I would react in that situation. So it didn't, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any glory element uh, attached really, I think to, to Das Boot. 
Nothing like that. I mean, mm. it makes a point. I, I don't. That, I don't agree. I think that Truffaut's uh, theory does extend to Dawson. You think it made it a little bit? It wasn't an anti-war film. I mean, you may be right there. I mean, it I is. It's as right. anti-war as any modern film is, where it doesn't just take nothing but a gung-ho, go get 'em boys attitude towards war films. Sure, right. But that it doesn't talk about the positive aspects of war. I mean, sh- films shouldn't talk about that. I mean, there's something to be said about knowing yourself through these terrible See, times. and that's... The and, camaraderie and, of, of, uh, of you know, loving your fellow soldier. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, right. there's a lot of great aspects to war. And this movie sh- shows them. And I think that it would be wrong for a movie not to show them. Because that's an aspect of war, if you want to be truthful about well, it. Well, and to Truffaut's statement, uh, I've heard this before. This isn't the first time I've encountered it. But I, I keep running through the Rolodex in my head of truly anti-war films. And I got a couple uh, that I think measure up that are truly anti-war. But again, uh, I mean, like making full metal jacket. No, There's no, no. Very little positive in there. What? Uh, that's not an anti-war film. Would you say that's an anti-war film? I wouldn't. I, I would say uh, Stanley Kubrick's other war film, uh, Paths of Glory, is much more uh, close to the mark. Hmm, I've never seen to, it. Uh, it's a good movie. We should maybe review what, it at one point. What, what in Full Metal Jacket does it show as a positive aspect of war? Just the excitement. You know, the... the, the uh, uh, I guess the main character wants to learn something about himself, and he does. Well, there's some pretty so exciting action that. scenes in that film, right? Uh, the whole sniper scene is pretty action-filled. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get a lot of that, I guess, uh, you know, the je ne sais quoi of, com- com- of camaraderie and combat that comes along with it. And that, for whatever reason, invigorates young men. It's 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 in there. Okay. And I mean, yeah, it's in there. It's certainly much more muted than it is in this film. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's so not, what Ebert it, says that this is maybe an anti-war film is just shows how far off the mark he is with that statement. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the other movie I was I'd throw out there would be uh, uh, Thin Red Line, uh, just yeah, I gotta, because I gotta revisit that movie. That's for sure. That's Thin one Red Line. Gotta revisit. For starters, it came out pretty close to when Save it, Saving Private Ryan came out, and uh, Saving Private Ryan is is you know most noted for its initial uh, you know beaches in Normandy scene. That first That's half of the film was pretty damn good. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> no, it's it's amazing technically. It's 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 wonderfully wrought. Uh, Steve Spielberg did an amazing job uh, depicting the action in in that uh, that scene, but it definitely was not anti-war. Even though it showed horror, it showed uh, madness, it was an anti-war. It showed a lot of excitement, uh, you know, uh, all that. Uh, interesting, when I watched The Thin Red Line, because it was a World War II movie, came out around the same time, there was a beach crashing scene, and I think it was Guadalcanal, I don't remember, where everybody unloads off the crash boats, and there's nothing. They just they just get off the boats and there's just a beach and there's nobody <laughs> shooting at them nothing mm-hmm. and they just like what the fuck and then they wander into the jungle and it was I, you know obviously it was a coincidence but it was a nice sort of counterpoint I think to the Private Ryan film 
uh, because everybody fucking loved Private Ryan. It was especially very exciting. Like, yeah, especially like my veteran uncle, you know, who's all into the flag waving bullshit and, mm. you know, served in Vietnam and all that kind of crap. And uh, and I was like, oh, well, did you see Thin Red Line? And he was like, ah, oh, that fucking movie. <laughs> you know, he just had nothing good to say. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. I was like, what the fuck? And, uh, you know, watching it a couple of times, I'm, it gets heavily philosophical. But it's a Terrence Malick film, so you know whatever. Yeah. But uh, it it goes into it, maybe over the top. It browbeats you with some pretty poignant questions about war and combat and uh, who you're fighting and why you're fighting them. And so I wouldn't. I don't know. The action scenes aren't aren't of 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 the flavor uh, that, and the movie's long. And so to me, that seemed. Fairly anti-war, but you know, it's it's discretionary. Obviously, it's from the the perspective of the person watching it. But I thought it was pretty anti-war. So I don't know if you have an anti-war film, but well, I mean, uh, I guess it's it's a scale of gray. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Truffaut's sort of making a comment. He's making a statement here that can't be true on its face because he says it's impossible. To make an anti-war film. So he's sort of working in a world of absolutes, which he knows, well, doesn't exist. So in a way, he's sort of making a statement that can't be proven or disproven. The truth is that you can make more or less anti-war films. And I think that Das Boot, Bollyfield, sort of fits in the middle of that. Of the two it sides tries. Of war, yeah. I mean, I mean if you want to be truthful about war, you can't make a movie that's only anti-war. I think that movies have often... Faulted, and I'm sure Das Boot to a certain extent faults on spinning war too positively. Uh, and this movie certainly does that. It tries to deck you in the gut right at the end. Um, so, in a way, well, this movie's not anti war, and I think and, most and, movies aren't. And that's the problem with war in general is that it, it, it appeals to the young man in a way that uh, no amount of depiction will counter mm-hmm. right you There's mean nothing... a young man an 18 year old man go hey i think i might sign up i mean you could go you're a high school graduate you can go down to the navy recruiter's office and get fast-tracked into the navy into the uh submariner program they're always looking for young guys to see if they oh, yeah. can turn them into submariners so yeah. i could see a young guy watching this movie and go hey you know i think it'd be fun to work on a submarine yeah well, it definitely wouldn't be this exciting. I'll tell you that fucking much. <laughs> it certainly Boring and be. tedious is jack shit, yeah, man. But I've still, I some... bet you still get to smell a lot of farts. Uh, yeah, I think the farts uh, with whatever uh, you know ionizing atmosphere processors they have on uh, state-of-the-art Trident submarines nowadays, I think you're still going to smell a fart or two. <laughs> Not going to get away with one of those motherfuckers. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's not... I, I think... I think an anti-war film doesn't depict war. That's kind of my take. I think like Doctor Strangelove, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. I think that could count absolutely. Yeah, that, that takes you, a you, that takes a different tack. That uses a different toolbox. It's not. Yeah, it's not really storytelling. It's satire. Uh, what about the pianist? And Polanski's the pianist, as I like to say, kid fucker Polanski's the pianist. Oh, you gotta separate the man from his art, Matthew. <laughs> I'm um, with you. 
It's like you and the murderer of Matthew Broderick, you know, to caveat. <laughs> now, we've been straightened about. out that he's not a murderer. He's he probably murderer. wasn't even drunk during that. It was just an unfortunate well, you, as you as, as as you and I, veterans of driving on the other side of the road in the uh, British Isles. Oh, uh, it gets confusing, man. It gets fucking real confusing. I swear to God, when you first get that car, it's I nuts. I made a couple of free rights that were definitely not free rights. That's all I got to <laughs> say. And it's sheer luck that I didn't hit anybody. Yeah, yeah, you didn't get like some like timber lorry coming over the hill. I, I could have got creamed or creamed somebody easily. No man, a couple they're, they're, a couple of times. It's, it's tough. It's tough not to lapse a few times when you're driving around for a few days over there. Especially if you got like a hot piece like Jennifer Grey, just ready to go. You got to get her to that mm-hmm. uh, you know Irish Inn at the uh, the end of the road, and you just can't wait. Just so I I feel for the vehicular manslaughterer Matthew Broderick. <laughs> the vehicular manslaughterer Matthew Broderick, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, uh, what the fuck were we talking about? Uh, oh, the uh, Polanski. kid fucker Polanski, yeah, uh, the um, pianist. You and I saw that together. So, yeah, the uh, pianist. Uh, God, is it even a war film? It's more about. Of course, uh, it takes place during World War Two. I mean, okay, great. It takes war place during World War Two, but it's, it. yeah, but it's not about a warrior. It's not about a soldier. It's about a civilian trying yeah, to survive right. war. I, Maybe I it's more really Schindler's List. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Schindler's List isn't a pro war film, I'll tell you that much. So. Uh no. Uh maybe that's what it is. Maybe maybe uh anti war films have to not be about soldiers in war. I think know? that's probably your first step. Don't yeah, don't make I, it about the soldiers because they're you're gonna find something positive in there. Almost impossible. Unless you're gonna right. just lie through your teeth. I think you're right. So uh uh, I guess if we do find an anti-war film, we're going to have to find one not about soldiers. Before we get on the movie next week, I did have to to, to uh-huh. add in one little, I don't know if it's a story, but uh, uh, it's it's one of those Easter eggs that you find in life that, that you're like, oh, this is too awesome to be true. But uh, back when I was in graduate school in the late 90s, uh, the band Rammstein uh, weren't well known, but they did a very small tour of the United States. And uh, if anybody's unfamiliar with the band Rammstein, they're uh, they're East German originally. Uh, they grew up on the other side of the wall, and they uh, do sort of native tongue heavy metal, like German heavy metal, and they sing in German. And it's when you realize that German is the true lingua franca of heavy heavy metal, and you look at bands like. Uh, Metallica and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. It's like, why were you ever singing in English? German is the obvious language for heavy metal. And so uh, we went and saw them at the Ogden Theater in Denver and a uh, ton of fire. So they had the fire marshals there like full time. It was pretty amazing. And uh, the intro music, you know how bands, always, what do they call that? The uh, monitor music when before the, uh, the band gets I, on stage. I didn't know there was a name for that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like yeah, before I saw Nine Inch Nails, like they were piping in the Blade Runner soundtrack. It was pretty cool. Like I was psyched to see Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, sometimes it's just a radio station they'll put on. Yeah, but but the band usually has a little bit of control over what they're putting out to get the the crowd sort of you know excited about the act coming up. And uh, for Rammstein, they they were piping in the Das Boot soundtrack. And and I was like the only person that was like, well, fuck, man, this is Das Boot soundtrack. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. And the Das Boot soundtrack is very kind of techno, 
It's hmm. not classical music. It has a lot of synthesizer. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't. I didn't really notice the soundtrack that much. Yeah, and uh, the theme and and stuff, and and I didn't really either. But when I was waiting for Rammstein to get on stage and blow my fucking mind, I was like hearing the DOS boot. Well, you had, you had seen the movie enough at that point that oh yeah, no, brought I was, up all was, the imagery it's, it of the burned thing. into my brain. So uh, I was I was, it made uh, the show that much more exciting. Mm-hmm. That I knew that that Rammstein were, were DOS boot fans. They're German, so you kind of expect as much, but still, it was it was pretty badass. Anyway, that's my little my little story there. That's the very Dost interesting. I, I had not heard that. All right, so uh, next week, Mister Hudson, I don't know anything about the fucking movie next week, other than I saw I watched like two or three minutes of it, and uh, it was so laughably silly. I mean, I don't it, know. I'm not sure what people like of this movie, but. Uh... Whatever happens, you know, who cares? It's uh, it's an hour and a half. It's called The it's Room. It's a cult movie. Certifiable. Yeah, uh, I guess it's a cult movie. I'm not sure why. I mean, we're going to answer that question uh, by some guy named Tommy Wiseau or something. Wiseau. Okay. And uh, uh, it's almost to like midnight screening level of uh, popularity. All right. Well, I, 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 I've perused it, and it looks just like a, a late night Skinamax movie. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? With like I, I, faux humping and bad acting and poorly appointed sets and uh, just um, sort of um, uh, by the numbers sort of camera work. But what makes it any f- more terrible, we don't know. Or good. I mean, this, for some reason it's caught on. But I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. for the life of me, I don't know why. I guess we're going we're gonna to dive in and see what it is or what it isn't. Right. So next week we're going to review uh, apparently the cult classic. We're not sure why. Uh, uh, 2003's The Room, uh, and uh, I thought it might have been a horror movie. You know, The Room, like The Cell. But yeah, I don't yeah. Think it's I that. Mean, no, I don't believe so. I think it's uh, like a relationship movie. And there's something to do with a plastic spoon. So that's all I know. I don't know anything oh, really? about it. Hmm. Yeah. So well, pay attention was- to the plastic spoon. So uh, until next week. Jetzt wird's psychologisch, meine Herren.